We hope you enjoy listening to this podcast of St. Louis on the Air, brought to you by University College at Washington University. With undergraduate and graduate programs, part-time, evening, and online. University College at Washington University, offering world-class education within reach. Welcome to St. Louis on the Air. I'm Don Marsh. Americans have come a long way in understanding and accepting the LGBTQ community. It's been somewhat less so in African-American society. It's a double whammy for gay blacks who are already marginalized and further on the fringe within their own community. That's certainly an issue to be, dis- uh, to be discussed, that is, here during the St. Louis Black Pride weekend this weekend. Joining me to talk about it all are Randy Rafter, president of the St. Louis Black Pride. It serves as an empowerment resource for the black gay community. Earl Folks is president and CEO for Center for Black Equity, an umbrella organization for all black pride events. He joins us by phone. Gentlemen, thanks so much for being with us. Great to have you with us in studio and, uh, and you joining us by phone, sir. Thanks for having My me. My pleasure. Earl, uh, let me begin with you. Uh, it seems to me that, that blacks seem afraid to come out, more so than uh, gays in the white community. Is that so? And if so, why? Earl? We may have lost him. I'll, I'll turn that question over to you then. Is that the correct assessment? Um, it varies within different societies and different um, areas. I would say here in the Midwest, um, here in, in St. Louis, you'll see that to where it's, it's um, the stigma behind being um, black and being gay is not necessarily as it would be for the mainstream. But it seems that there is a certain degree of homophobia within the African-American community that may not be so intense in the, in the white community. Well, Understanding that within the African-American community, we are, uh, we're brought up specifically around uh, our religious background. So, um, for instance, I'm from originally from Little Rock, Arkansas. I moved here about 10 years ago. And so when you grow up in the church and you're in church Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, mm-hmm. you get a lot of understanding around being specifically um, that religious belief. And so with that being said, uh, you'll see some standoffishness to a certain extent around around the LGBT community and um, especially with people of color. And that is a fairly, fairly a, a potent and powerful force, I would think. I seem to remember a few years ago in California, there was a, a vote concerning uh, LGBTQ issues and the African-American community voted it down and caused it to fail because it voted in such unanimous numbers, if you will. Right, Proposition 8. 8, that's the one, <clears throat> yeah. Well, uh, that was a part of it. Now, uh, and when we're looking at the overall uh, pool around, specifically around Proposition 8, it was also that people didn't come out and vote it. And the ones who did vote were were more for against that situation in in, in um, in the mainstream, you have to look at everything that was put on that ballot for, for while Proposition Eight was there, made it a little bit more difficult for individuals for that proposition to actually pass. Well, I think uh, I think our friend Errol Folks uh, is back with us now. We had a bad connection there. Thank you for uh, rejoining us. My pleasure. We have been talking here about how. Um, Members of the LGBTQ community are received in the African-American community as a whole. What's your observation on that? I think it's a very complex issue. Um, We have, obviously, uh, there's a great deal of homophobia in uh, in many African-American institutions, in particular the church. 
Um, however, um, most African Americans that I've worked with, and I've worked within uh, trying to organize uh, black churches into developing HIV AIDS ministries in both uh, New Jersey, New York, and DC. And mo most individuals know someone who's LGBTQ, oftentimes in their family or in their community and have friends. So there's the institutionalized homophobia, which exists, uh, which is prevalent in the African-American community. However, there's a great deal of tolerance and understanding on the, on the individual level to the needs of LGBTQ people. You know, because of, 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 of racial and uh, segregation in housing and education and the workforce, uh, many of us live, many black LGBT community uh, people live in the black community. And so it's not like people don't know LGBT issues or are familiar with them. It's just that oftentimes they take their leads from um, the establishments in, in, this, in the church. Isn't that always the way when people get to know each other? Those prejudices sometimes go away quite quickly. Indeed, you're absolutely correct. What sort of progress is being made in dealing with this, uh, the, the, the society as a whole, the institutional uh, part of this, as you, as you indicated? Uh, is, it, is it getting better? Is the relationship between the two communities getting uh, easier? Well, you know, I, I, I hesitate in calling them two separate communities because we're a community within the community. Mm -hmm. Um, and, one, and part of the, the issue that why Black Pride exists is because of duality that many members of the L Black LGBT community have. We kind of have one foot in the LGBT space, um, and then we have a, a foot in the Black space. And, and, it's, and what's happening is, as opposed to trying to straddle those spaces, which often many of us have to do, we are creating our own safety zones because Black Pride is really about a safety space, a safe zone that you can be authentically who you are. And I think the, the key to change in our community is more and more people in the LGBT community, in the black LGBT community, becoming comfortable with them themselves and standing up to their truth and standing up in the face of homophobia within their, their churches, within their, their workforce, within their, even their their family, and because this is who I am, accepted, and, you know, I'm going to live my life authentically whether you approve or not. And I think the, the key for me is to get more members of my the black LGBTQ community to step forward and to find peace within themselves and to resolve those inner conflicts and be authentically who they are. That will make people respect our community when they see us behaving and conducting and, and showing that we're just regular folks trying to live our lives. We just want to be left alone. Randy, what's the situation like here in St. Louis in this regard? Well, um, W.B. Du Bois talks about the best about, uh, in the souls of black folks, about the intersectionality between being black and American. The same thing we would say here within um, St. Louis about being black and being gay. Um, for instance, with the Ferguson Uprise, some of the leaders that were at the front lines of the Ferguson Uprise were actually LGBT people of color mm -hmm. uh, who were leading the marches. Uh, specifically, if you saw the film that came out with... Um, two young ladies who are leading the marches, mm -hmm. well, they're actually of our community, and they stand up for injustice across all boards. 
Well, people would have to know that in order to recognize that and then and then perhaps view them a little bit differently, wouldn't they? Right, because ultimately we, what we look at is to where is injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. Yeah. We have to make it a point to stand up for in, for ourselves and also for individuals. It's about um, when it really boils down to it, the intersectionality that we all come through as being black and being LGBT, it almost feels like, well, you kind of don't get a break. So when the Ferguson uprising uh, took part, we're there in the marches, but then at the same time, when the Orlando uh, the Orlando shooting happened, well, there we are again as to where it's like, okay, when do you kind of get a break? Mm-hmm. We don't get that break. Mm-hmm. We have to stand up for all those different causes and make it a point to make sure that um, that intersectionality does exist and that we are of both of those communities, as Earl spoke of earlier. Yeah, I'd like to, he mentioned something I'd like to ask you about and then ask him. He talked about creating safe spaces. What precisely does that mean? What are these safe spaces? Well, uh, he says they say I say safer spaces, oh. um, simply because I feel sometimes this aren't necessarily always a safe space, but we can provide safer spaces for individuals to safe be truly from what. Well, um, it can be from anything, specifically when it comes down from being victimized within the community. I mean, from racial slurs to being uh, to physical assault. These things that exist and these things happen still today. I mean, statistics show specifically when it comes down for we can talk about LGBT youth. Well, they're twice as likely to be physically assaulted in school by being an LGBT person of color than their counterparts. Earl, how do you create a safe space? Well, you know, you have to be very intentional. Uh, I think it's it's really you create a safe space by have, having a welcoming space, by um, ensuring that you don't have any barriers, like physical barriers. Uh, one of the major things we, we talked about in, among our Black Pride partners is that some spaces that you have your events are not handicap accessible. And that... If you're having a party, a community party or community event or a community social, and you want everyone to come, you have to make sure it's handicap accessible. That's the first thing. And being sensitive to the fact that there are many parts of our, we're not monolithic people. We have all kinds of transgender men and women. We have youth. We have elders. It's really creating and spending time and, and resources in creating a space that everyone is welcome, that people don't have to worry about being judged or being treated differently because this is the kind of treatment they receive in the world and we want to model the kind of behavior that we want from others. And, and I think we've been very successful in doing that. Each year, over 400,000 people attend Black Prize in the United States. And they create, and I, and I spend many times traveling and talking to people, you know, why do you come to this? And they say, because when I, where I come from and where I live or where, where, I, where I work, I don't feel I can be who I am. And this is the one space where I can listen to any kind of music I want, dress anywhere I want, without judgment or fear, uh, for the most part, of any recrimination. And that's what, we, that's what we work very hard at. And also, when you create a safe space for black LGBT folks, you're not just a safe a space for just us. We, we have all kinds of people that come to our events. We have uh, uh, white people. We have uh, Native American. We have Asian Pacific Islanders. We have Latinos. A safe space is a safe space. And so many people share our desire to be in a safe space, and they, and they welcome the cultural nuances that Black Pride can give them. Randy, staying with this issue of safe spaces for mm-hmm. a moment, if they're, if they're necessary because of the potential for violence, what is the relationship then with law enforcement? Well, the relationship can be... 
the relationship's not necessarily always the best relationship. Um, sometimes you, in certain situations, in certain circumstances, some uh, there's individuals who are afraid to even call the local police department because the way that they may be treated. Just or the being way, black, number just one, being black, be a number problem. One, exactly, being yeah. black, number one. But if I happen to be mm-hmm. black and didn't be LGBT and I'm having a domestic um, situation, what's the likelihood of, of the police officer actually taking the time to actually figure out the situation properly? I mean, I can speak personally that um, I had a situation to where I had someone that was unwelcome in my home. Uh, I was like, okay, you need to leave. The police officer threatened to take me to jail along with the individual, because, but I didn't understand why I was being threatened to be put into jail um, because I need this person away from my property. Hmm. That's not the proper statute. Yeah. Earl, do you work with law enforcement on this? You know, I do. Um, I am, uh, because I live in D.C., um, and we've uh, not, the, the black the black LGBT community has not always had a good relationship with the local police department. I also chair the Commission on Human Rights here as well. And so um, it's taken a long time. It's taken over 20 years to get the police leadership to recognize that their police officer and law enforcement have to be trained appropriately to handle the um, LGBT folks, especially of color. Um, we work very hard with the police department. One of the challenges with here in the, the district is because we have so many other police jurisdictions, because we have federal government here, I think there are 25 different types of police in D.C. Any one of those can to respond to an emergency situation if they see something, you know, if there's a, night, a fight or violence or something. And so the police, the D.C. police department, there's some issues still with uh, African-American transgender sex workers um, that they feel they're being harassed, and, and we take that very seriously. But it's the other jurisdictions that if you get stopped by the park police or the, um, the Capitol Police or the Secret Service, you know, the, the same scenario that, 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 that Randy described can still happen. Um, it depends on where you live. Obviously, some cities work harder at, at uh, building relationships with the police department uh, and the community than others. Um, overall, black LGBTQ people still are, are dealing with the police is, is, a, is a, 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 a gamble. And many re- crimes that are perpetrated towards our community members are not reported because of fear and, and this, the type of treatment that they receive when they deal with not only the police department, but we're talking about when you go to the emergency room, we're dealing with any service providers, there's always a chance that you're going to be treated in a different way and disrespected because of who you are. Earl brought up something really important there, too, regarding um, with the police when it comes down to reporting. So sometimes people are are misreported when it comes down to certain instances, especially when it comes down to our trans community. Um, So speaking the facts that 87% of most murders uh, murders and homicides when it comes down to LGBT, the LGBT community are actually people of color. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with that being said, 40, uh, 45% of those are trans women. Mm-hmm. Majority of them are trans women. And in those situations, there we, we have to go back and to identify, well, no, this is a trans woman, but they're reporting their the person's um, birth name. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, this person has now gone through the process to where it's that they're um, uh, in the community, we call it their dead name because they, they no longer live mm-hmm. by that name uh, and they go by their new, their, who they are, truly are. Mm-hmm. 
And that becomes an issue and a problem within stacks and research and following up on those different things as well. Earl, you mentioned partnerships a couple of minutes ago. What sort of partnerships do you have, and do they include national organizations? I'll just say, like the NAACP or maybe even Black Lives Matter, to get these people uh, as allies and lobbying for you. Well, you know, that's a, you raised a very, very excellent point. Uh, just recently, um, just a, a, a month ago, I was at the NAACP. I was invited to participate in um, NAACP um, LGBTQ town hall at their, their 108th uh, um, convention in San Antonio. Mm-hmm. And the leadership, the, the chair of the board of the NAACP and the, and the president CEO, Johnson, uh, Daryl Johnson, the NAACP, um, actually spoke to us at a number of board members. And this is a, a very important first step, uh, or a series of first steps. Uh, Julian Baum was very um, supportive of LGBT rights mm-hmm. and same-sex marriage when he was alive and involved in the NAACP. And they're continuing this tradition of still working with our community. There's a lot that has to be done. But, you know, you take baby steps and you have dialogue and you, you help to break down the barriers that traditionally kept us apart. So we are working with the NAACP. Um, we've, uh, working, we've worked with the Urban League in the past. We've worked with uh, Operation Push. Um, we work with uh, organizations such as the, the, um, the AARP. Um, many of our people are aging, um, and they don't have the resources or the knowledge base to take advantage of the programs that exist. And, in the, and the AARP especially aging in place and caregiving um, information is crucial as many of us are not, are not only caregivers, but we're uh, receiving care, and it's important to know where the resources are. And so we work with our national partners, and we're developing relationships. We work with a human rights campaign and, and other organizations to push, as you, as to encourage them and to really strongly urge them as they're pushing for equal rights for LGBTQ people that include communities of color because we have different nuances. And those nuances are very, are, are, can be barriers to receiving the information that you're giving out. If you're not in places where we are, we're not going to get this information. You know, our community is not going to be picking up the LGBTQ um, newspapers and bringing them home and laying them on the coffee table. Right. So we're not going to get the information unless people are intentional and, and one thing that I try to emphasize is that you don't have to create a whole new program to outreach to black LGBTQ people. There, you know, our black pride reach tens of thousands of people. And every year, work with us so that we can help get the information out, get from the information out to people who need it. Yeah, and so those are, you know... So that's what we're doing currently. Earl, thank you for that. I want to give Randy a chance to tell us what's going on here this weekend because it starts on Friday, doesn't it, the, uh, the, your, your weekend yes, event? Yes, definitely. So um, St. Louis, Louis Black Pride Weekend is, uh, starts Friday. Friday we have our Black Pride Extravaganza. That's going to be at the Arcade Loss, 800 Olive Street on the rooftop, where we'll um, talk about our agenda for the upcoming year. Um, and also for, our, for both local and our national agenda. 
Then we have our um, Black Pride Accolades that we'll be having at the history at the Missouri History Museum on Saturday night. Uh, that will be from 7 o'clock, uh, in which we um, acknowledge accolades within our own community here in St. Louis. And then on Sunday, we will have the official Black Pride Festival that we'll be actually having this year on the landing. So we're very excited about that. Uh, it starts at noon till 8 o'clock. So we hope to see everyone there. Everyone's invited. Everyone's included. It's about us showing diversity and inclusion within the community that we're You've got a busy week ahead of you, right? I'm already weekend, exhausted. No about we've, we've got to end it right there. I want to thank Randy Rafter here in St. Louis, president of St. Louis Black Pride. Earl Folks is president and CEO for the Center for Black Equity. Thank you, sir, so much for being with us. Great to talk to you. It's my pleasure. I love to be, I'm glad to have been participated. Thank you. Have a great weekend. Archive versions of past St. Louis on the Air programs available for download or podcast at stlpublicradio.org slash stlonair. The program's a production of St. Louis Public Radio 90.7 KWMU. Thanks for listening. I'm Don Marsh.